Greetings in that precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we've already heard about this morning and heard about in the devotional of his creation and how that reminds us of him each and every day. And the other reminders that he puts in our life to remind us that our God, he is alive. And what are we doing with, with that knowledge, with that reality in our own lives? Have we got a vision like we were talking about to spread that to others, to let them know of that God that redeemed us, the one that saved us? My thoughts this morning go to Jesus when he said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And that was something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. The title of the message today is, Only God can satisfy the longing soul. Only God can satisfy the longing soul. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It goes on to say more, but what does he, can we, can we claim that promise this morning? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is that a true statement? That I'm satisfied with God. And I say this morning that God is good. That he's blessed me. And I'm content. He's provided our every need. He's given us his son as a payment, as a sacrifice for our sins, that we could have peace, that we could have eternal life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's what lips are saying, what is my life saying? Is my life saying the same thing, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? In 1 Timothy 6, I want to, could turn there with me if you would like. And the thing that, I guess the burden that the Lord laid on my heart today, it just seems, and I want to look at my own life, that we live in a discontented, dissatisfied nation, community. Is that what God wants from us? In 1 Timothy 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto also, whereto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate, Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Are we realizing that godliness with contentment is great gain? Are we realizing that we brought nothing into this world and we can carry nothing out? And the Bible says, having food and raiment, let us be content. Are we satisfied in God and his provision? You know, as I was thinking about this and I'm thinking about my own life and, you know, we hear so much complaining. We hear complaining about our job. We hear complaining about our government. We hear complaining about our school. We hear complaining about our church. We hear complaining about our youth group. Are we satisfied? Are we filled with God? Colossians 3, I would like for us to turn there. So what is causing all of this complaining and this discontentment, this, this not being satisfied? Colossians 3, 5, it, it would, well, let's, let's start with Colossians 3, 1. It says, I think this is, this is good. We often read this. It says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. And then it tells us how we're supposed to do that. It says, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And here he gives a list of sin. Sins that were to mortify, were not to have anything to do with. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and what's the next one? It says in covetousness, which is idolatry. What is covetousness? I think it's listed in the Ten Commandments. I looked up uh, what that means, and it said a greedy desire to have more. A greedy desire to have more. So it lists that as a sin, just like fornication, uncleanness. And it goes on to say, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. So I think God sees it as a sin. You know, as I was reflecting on the, the dissatisfied state of our nation, my mind went to, and naturally it would, I guess, has COVID been a problem that, that caused this? I mean, we blame the high lumber prices and everything else on COVID. And I guess in my, my flesh, I wanted to think maybe COVID had something to do with so much discontentment, so much dissatisfaction among us. But no, I don't think it's a new problem. I don't think it's something that COVID introduced to us. You know, as we look at the children of Israel and we think of, of uh, their journey, 40 years in the wilderness, what, what can we continue to see time and time again as they traveled? They were murmuring and complaining. And God was not well pleased with them, it says. You know, they were maybe complaining against Moses, but who were they really complaining against? 
When we think of their manna, that, that bread from heaven that God sent down, and he provided for them every day except for the Sabbath day. Now, you and I, we probably worked 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week to provide manna, food for our family. And for the children of Israel, God provided for them every morning, it says. And all they had to do was go out and pick it up, put it in a basket, and they had their manna for the day. Food for the day. But they weren't satisfied. They weren't content with that. They grumbled about that. How could they? And I think of my own life. You know, they ate the same thing for 40 years, meal after meal after meal. And last week, we had leftovers three meals three times. And I think we heard some complaining around our house. Three meals. We had the baked beans three times or four times. So am I any different today? Am I content? Am I satisfied with the God, what God has provided? Let's go back to the garden. I would like to think that it's maybe a problem that started back there in Genesis 1. And we, we know this story of the creation. I would like to just look at a few things there that, that stand out to me as I, as I think of discontentment and not being satisfied. Genesis 1, as we get toward the last, of, last day of the creation, verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl there, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Then we get to verse 29, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, in the which the fruit of the tree, which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. And to you it shall be meat, be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now this is the time of year where we, we see nice gardens. And maybe not so much this year because of all the rain, but you can go out and you see the garden, and you see the corn, and the tomatoes, and and, and watermelons and whatever else, they're all in rows and they look so nice. And I don't think any garden that we see with our eyes compares to the garden that Adam and Eve were put into by God himself. I think it was a beautiful garden. It had everything there. All the cucumbers, melons, tomatoes, everything they wanted to eat. And off to the side, maybe as we picture it, he had the trees that bring forth fruit. This is the time of year where we have peaches and pears and, and uh, sweet cherries and, and all these fruit trees. And God said, every one of them are for you. Every one of them are you, for you to eat. Except the one. 
except the one. And we read about that over in the next chapter. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. There was their, there was their assignment. And the Lord God commanded the tree, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, every one of them, except. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So where was their focus? They had all these trees. We didn't even name the nut trees, the pecan trees and the, the walnuts and things. All of these they could have for food, every one of them, except for that one that was in the middle. That one looked good. And then with a little help from the, from the serpent, what happened? We know that they were, the serpent came and he said, Yea, you shall not eat of... Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. And that was a lie from the enemy. And that's the one who breeds this discontentment, this dissatisfied state that I think I find myself in as I go through this life. Now, as we, as we look at, at what God said back in verse 31, and I, you know, whenever we see uh, uh, something, uh, maybe we don't really think about a garden, but we, we think of a beautiful garden and we, we, we don't see a weed in it, we say that looks very good. You know, when God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God saw that this was very good. It was exactly what they needed, but it was not what they thought they needed. So were they content? Were they satisfied? Their focus was on that one tree that they weren't supposed to have. And we hear the phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side. And we know that's true for cows and sheep and horses and goats. But what about for people? What about for us? Is it like that? Are we content with what God has given us, our possessions? In Luke 20, Luke 12, Jesus was telling a, giving a, a man some advice. He said it like this. He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And I think what we need to underline in that verse is things. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. It's not things that bring fulfillment. As much as the devil would want us to believe that, it's God that brings fulfillment. It's God that brings, he fills the void that's in our hearts and lives. And we've probably tried many things to fill that. At least I have. Our possessions, our stuff. You know, I think of, of the day we live in. 
And I, I read somewhere that the average house in America today is three times larger than it was in 1950. Three times. And why is that? Is it the, uh, in the abundance of things that we have that it takes to store them? And still we see storage units popping up here and there and everywhere. And many barns are being sold by the hundreds every day. Are we gauging our life on our possessions? We live in a materialistic world. You know, as we, as we think of what it said in Timothy, it says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And I've heard many, many uh, people say you've, that I've never seen a hearse with a trailer behind it. And that's true. These abundance of things are not something that we can take with us to eternity. The things that will stay here. Now, as I was reflecting on this and, and how that the world that we live in drives us to discontentment, you know, probably 20 years ago, we were, we were building a house in a county south of us, and, you know, they, they kind of have a, a mindset of building big houses there. And Rick probably works there a lot, and he lays bricks on them. But, you know, I asked a man that lived down there, I said, how can these young couples afford such big houses? He said, if you knew the truth of the matter, he said, it's this. And I, and I could hardly believe this, but I, I, I believe he told me for the truth. He said that these houses are built and the people overspend so bad that he said they don't have money to buy furniture to put in it, couches and kitchen tables and things. He said, so when they have the open house, they rent furniture to put in their house to show them off. We've heard the phrase, we spend money that we don't have to build a house that we don't want to impress people that we don't like or something like that. So how is it in you and I's life? Are we far removed from that? Or is that the way it looks in our lives sometimes? What is my decision maker when I decide to do something? Is it because I can afford it or because I need it? Is it because we're keeping up with the Joneses or the Boyds? Or is it because I need it? So how can we curb this? Can we focus on what we have and be thankful for what we have and for what God has provided, not on what we don't have and what we can't have? So that's being content with what we have what we own and we could go into stewardship and what we have is really not our own it's what God has given us everything that we have is a gift from him the second thing I want to look at is being content with where we are to bloom where we are planted you know as I thought about the message last Sunday and uh, yeah Isaiah and the place that he found him in himself in he lived in a sinful nation that God wanted him to bloom right where he was planted. And sometimes that takes some watering. And I read those verses in, in Sunday school. Where it talks about watering and planting. And it says it like this. 
Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man? It says, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave it the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. So sometimes it takes some watering. And I think, how can we water a plant? How can we water ourselves? How can we water others? And this is a challenge that I heard recently. How would it be if you and I would water ourselves for one week out of this? The Word of God. How would it be if we would just water ourselves out of that only? We would shut everything else off that we're being watered by. Would it make a difference in my life? I would like to try that sometime. I think it would probably take some, some discipline. But how would it be if we watered ourselves with the word of God and that only? Being content with where we are. As I think of the youth here this morning, maybe many of them are missing for baptism and things. You know, the, we think of the youth years as times to serve, times to go and, and do volunteer service. And it is a great time to do that. And I encourage each one of you to do that. I look at my own life and I have many regrets of opportunities that, I've, that I missed before I was married to go and serve somewhere. And I think that's good. And maybe God is calling some to serve overseas. And maybe God is calling some to serve right here. I think of opportunities of, of serving right here as, as school teachers and school helpers and just all kinds of things that can be done right here at home. And being content in that. And serving God while we're waiting for direction. Praying about it, that God will open doors on his time. There's with, I think of the youth and, and the opportunities they have. What about us as adults and the opportunities that we have? You know, I, I've had many, many different jobs. And I, should, I would never say that you shouldn't change jobs. But what is the motive? You know, I, I thought of a man that I, I spent a few days with in, in Tennessee. And the story that he told me, I think reflected a lot about this man. And he was, he was a, I don't know what you want to call him, a prominent man. And he had a, he had a president, he was a president of a, of a big lumber company. And he told me this story, and I can't remember all the details, but he said he had a good job. He had a good job. He was, he was where he wanted to be. He had a good church he was going to, and his family was there. But he said, God called me to take over this president job of this lumber company. And he said, I didn't necessarily want to do it, but God called me to that. And he said, it seemed that God wanted me to lead the owner of this company to Jesus Christ. So he gave up 
other things. And I can't remember what he even said about the pay, but he, he said this is what God was calling him to do. And he was faithful in doing that. And that, that I guess I, I admire that, that he, was, he felt so strongly that that was God's calling, that this, this man was older, this man was, was uh, not saved, and he knew the time was short. But then I think of another man that I recently talked to, and he said he had an offer that he couldn't turn down. And he took that offer. He said it had great benefits, but then he also said the stress is about to get me down. So what is our motive? What, you know, are we praying about these things that God is, is calling us to do? You know, I think of Colossians where it tells us, Colossians 1, Verse 17, or Colossians 3, it says, And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So whatever we're doing, whatever God has called us to do, that we do that in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then we look at it as our mission field. Now, I, I think of another conversation I heard this week, it was, Actually, one of the men sitting here, and he was telling me about all the coworkers he has and, and the different things that they're going through, and I, I said, it sounds like a mission field. And I believe that it is a mission field, right where he's at. He has this opportunity to speak, speak into these guys' life and to, to be a blessing, to be a servant. So wherever we are, we can be a blessing, being, be a servant. But we need to be content with where God has called us to. And be content with who we are, how God has created us. He makes no mistakes. Now, we can look through this Bible and we see God uses ordinary men and women to do his work. Think of Moses. He was a meek man. He was not somebody that was, I'm not sure how he says, eloquent in speech. He couldn't talk a lot very, very clearly, but... God called him to lead. And through many different circumstances and things, God used him to lead the children of Israel. What about David, the little shepherd boy that was on the, on the hillside watching the sheep? You know, God called him. He was just an ordinary shepherd boy. And Amos, the farmer. We think of the fishermen, Peter, James, and John, and all these that that Jesus picked on, he called them to come and to do his work. God was able when they were willing. God was able when they were willing, and that's the way it is with you and I. I think God is able when we're willing servants. When we have the here am I, send me. So what is the cause of so much discontentment? And I, I believe on this one, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick out something, and I know it can have a good, it can have some good things, but I believe social media can be a big part of our discontentment, of our dissatisfaction. Painting a picture of somebody that we're not. And I don't know much about it, hardly anything, but I know our children have a new app called Be Real. Be Real, and I think the challenge is that whenever they send you a notification. You take a picture 
of where you're at right then when you post it. It might not be on the beach. It might be Sean's underneath the car with his hands greasy. It might be Rick's mixing mud. Darren might be cultivating. It's just you're being real. This is, this is my life. This is who I am. Be genuine. And be content with that. So as we, as we look at all these things of, of being content with God, who he's made us, where he has placed us, and what he's given us, we realize that in the big picture, we have to look to him. We have to trust him. In Psalm 107, it's where I got the title for the message. <clears throat> I'd like to read that. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathereth them out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. For as such sit in the darkness in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High, therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. So we, we see in verse 9, who is the one? Who is this he that satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul? It's God himself. It's Jesus Christ that fills the longing soul. Fills the hungry soul with goodness. And it says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. In Philippians 4, this thing of contentment is something that Paul learned. It's not natural. It says it like this that, no, I'll read. It says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Sodius, I beseech Sensi, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard 
and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And here we have Paul writing to the church in Philippi. And where's he at when he's writing to them? He's in, he's in bonds. He's in prison. He's chained. But still, he's learned to be content there. You know, as I, as I think of that and, and the, how we're so blessed here, we're so far from being in chains for our faith. And do we have this, this mindset? Have we learned this contentment that Paul learned while he was on his journey and while he was sitting in prison? How did he learn that? We could pick out a few, few things, and maybe uh, some more things, but he learned to, in verse 4, to, to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Have we chosen joy? I think we can choose joy each day or we can choose the opposite. And I think joy is also, it tells us the fruit of the Spirit. If God is in us, then that should be coming out of us. And then he goes on to say, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And that little phrase at the end never, I guess I never really gave that much thought, but the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? The Lord is near, I think some translations would say. How near is he to you and I? Well, if we are a child of God, he's in us. He knows about every struggle we're facing. He knows about everything that we're up against. It's personal to him. The Lord is at hand. And he goes on to say, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. I think Paul learned through prayer and supplication. Supplication is to beg. To come to God and to beg him. To, to help us. And it goes back to 107 where it says, When I was in my distresses, I called upon the Lord, and he heard me. And he answered my prayers. And then, last but not least, it says, With thanksgiving. Are we focusing on the things that God has blessed us with? Or are we focusing on those things that we don't have? I think right there lies a key to contentment. I've heard it shared many times, and you have too. What if we only had tomorrow what we thank God for today? What would we have? Are we counting our blessings? Are we naming them one by one? Starting with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He's redeemed us. He's given us eternal life. When I read verse 8, it says, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, are pure and lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And I think right here is what verse 8, this would fit verse 8 just fine, the word of God, that we think on these things, and I think it will go a long way in helping us to be content. With these thoughts, let's kneel for prayer. I never
Heavenly Father, we pause before you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us together here this morning, just reminding us, Lord, of your provision to us, of how you've given us health and strength and a sound mind and, and a building here to, to come together in like-minded believers that we can sing songs of praise and look into your word and see that you're the giver of all gifts, all good gifts. And Lord, that you also say that you will withhold no good thing. Lord, we, we realize that all that we have today, we acknowledge that they're a gift from you. We just praise you and thank you especially for your gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray, Lord, that we could be a thankful people, a thankful congregation. That we could go forth rejoicing what you've done for us. And we could make a difference in, in, the, in the area that you've placed us right here and right now. That we could bloom where we planted. We could, we could be servants. Willing workers for you. Lord, as we sang this song to give us a vision for those lost souls, help us to be faithful and spreading the good news of God. 